0: I said, we are, we've been going through the entire Bible in our Jesus Calling series this summer, which at, at the beginning, you're probably like, well, we're going to go through the entire Bible. It sounds really ambitious, and it was because we had just spent like 16 weeks in a four-chapter book in Philippians, but what we've done is we've taken themes throughout the Bible. We've done what's called biblical theology, and we've taken themes throughout the Bible and traced a singular theme throughout the entire scriptures and that theme is the theme of the rescuer the messiah the promised one the ones who the one who's going to come and save us and we've looked at jesus throughout the entire scriptures and we've also talked about our paradigm for discipleship here at trinity life church which is hear trust obey it's just it's not a program it's not uh, a course you take for discipleship it's are you hearing the voice of god and are you trusting him by obeying his voice? And that's your measure for your, your discipleship. That's how you know you're, you're a follower of Jesus if you're, doing, if you're doing that. So we've talked about that through the scriptures. We've talked about Jesus. And we've gone through different things. We started off with Christ creates. We talked about how, how sin entered the world. How there's a prophetic Christ where Christ is prophesied. There's a promised Christ where he's going to come and rescue us. There is... Uh, we went through all these themes into uh, the Bride of Christ and the Spirit of Christ last week. And like I said, we start off with Christ Creates. We're ending today with Christ Restores. And that's the message of the Scriptures, that God is pursuing us, that we, we, don't, we don't have to pursue God. He's pursuing us. We just accept Him and, and accept that his, his love is chasing after us. And that's the story of the Scriptures and it's your story. Like, we enter into that story. That is our story. It's the story of this world, the story of this universe, it's the story of your individual lives. And when God seeks restoration, He doesn't, it's not just this cosmic restoration, although it includes a cosmic restoration, but it's an individual restoration for each of us. And one symbol of this is the tree of life in, in the scriptures. And the tree of life uh, begins in Genesis. God, God plants trees in the Garden of Eden, and it's perfect. And he puts two trees in particular in the Garden. He puts the Tree of Life, and he puts the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil. And Adam and Eve are to eat of the Tree of Life, and it perpetuates their life, right? It, it brings them life. And they can eat from any tree in the Garden, right? They have uh, an immensity of good choices. But in order to give them free will, God says there's one tree that I don't want you to eat of. And that tree would be an evil choice because you have all these good choices. He says, don't eat of this tree. And what that does is it creates the freedom of moral choice for Adam and Eve because God doesn't want robots that he forces to, to love him. He says, no, you have a choice. You can choose what's good and what I've declared good and, and hear, trust and obey me. Or you can choose what's evil and not here, and trust and obey me. And Adam and Eve, what, end up happening, what ends up happening is who knows how long it takes, but eventually they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and they choose poorly. And that mars the entire creation, right? And, and what God does, and you can, a lot of people read this passage in, the, in Genesis, and they think God's punishing Adam and Eve. But the Bible is clear on this. When the fall happens and sin enters the world, God has to remove humanity from the tree of life because if he doesn't, they're going to stay in their perpetual state of sin. And so what God is showing is grace. So he removes Adam and Eve from the garden. He sets up uh, his angels around to, to um, guard the entrance to the garden because he's guarding the tree of life from them. Because he wants to make a way. And he says, I'm going to promise you a savior is going to come, a rescuer is going to come. So we see the tree of life at the beginning. And the tree of life makes, makes uh, appearances throughout the scriptures. So we get to Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 says that the, the righteous person is, is like someone who's planted by streams of water. Yields its fruit in season. And uh, this is a picture, an image of the tree of life. And then we see that same image in the Proverbs. And wisdom is, is personified in the Proverbs, and then wisdom is equated with the tree of life, that wisdom uh, brings life like the tree of life does. And then we see this in Jeremiah 17. And Jeremiah, if you remember, when we, when we preached through this a month or so ago, um, uh, Israel was God's people to bring what we just saying, to be the light to the nations, to show Christ's life to the nations. And they're in exile, they're experiencing consequences for their actions because they've chosen, they continually choose not to hear trust and obey, and, and they have consequences for their actions. But even in the midst of that, in Jeremiah chapter 17, we hear an echo of Psalm 1, that if you hear trust and obey, you will be a tree of life, not just for yourselves, but for the nations. And then Peter actually picks this up in 1 Peter and he says, hey, the tree of life is the cross. The cross in Jesus, when he died on the cross, that tree of death, that cursed tree of punishment and execution, actually God made it our tree of life. And when we, when we partake in Christ's death in the cross and we accept that death, we actually get life. And that's such a beautiful imagery of what the tree of life is. So the tree of life is all through the scriptures here. And then, and Jesus is in this business. He wants to restore things in us. But he doesn't just want to restore things in us. Christ restores in us in order to restore through us. And this is the statement I want you guys to remember as we go throughout the the sermon today. What Christ restores in you, he uses to restore through you. Okay? So, um, let's go into the passage that, that Missy beautifully read. Um, this is 2 Corinthians 5.11. And if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, you're like, our last series is in 2 Corinthians. We still have a whole bunch of, we still have this much left. Um, but we'll get to that. So, uh, and we'll finish, we'll finish the scriptures today. So beginning in verse 14. Paul writes to, to the church here, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, it compels us, it, it, um, it, uh, it shows us what, what we should do. And he says, Because we've con- concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. And so there's a little switch here, right? Um, because Christ died for us, and we've died with Christ. Remember, a couple weeks ago, I preached, and the the statement I I had up there was, die together, thrive together. When we die together, we're going to thrive together as the body of Christ. And this is is what he's talking about here. He says, when we recognize we've died in Christ, um, we're going to live not for ourselves, but we're going to live to Christ for the sake of others. Okay, this is verse 15. And and he says, because Jesus Jesus died, and he was raised from the grave. And so, when we recognize that the love of Christ controls us, because God's restoring things in us, and that's what this passage is about. And this passage is, we're going to go through four or five things that God has restored in us. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're in Christ, he's restored these things in you. And you can say, yes, that's a truth for my life. Um... But there's only like four or five in here. Uh, you got to read the rest of the Bible to figure out what he's all the other things he's restored. He's restored so many things in us. So, but in this passage, what he's restoring in us is love, and he's showing us what love is. You know, one John four nineteen says that uh, we know what love is because Christ loved us first, and that's how we love because he loved us first. And and this passage is saying when we recognize and submit to the love of Christ. It controls us. It compels us to action to live for him uh, for the sake of others. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've saved my kids' lives. So I have a five-year-old and a six-year-old. One of the common phrases around my house is, I just saved your life. I, you know that, right? <laughs> um, kids, Kids just... Uh, yeah, they, they do dangerous things. Um, and like falling down the stairs, Reagan almost ran in front of a car and Missy had to grab her. And we're like, we just saved your life. Like, you're welcome. Um, but my dad growing up did it for me, so I figure I should do it for my kids. Um, my <laughs> that's my reason, yeah. So my dad, my dad saved my life a lot. Uh, I mean, I can think of multiple examples. Uh, I lived in Indonesia for almost four years growing up, and he, we went to, we would have to park our car and then hike to this, like, remote beach location where we would stay in this hut on the beach. It was our, it was our, like, getaway from the the big city. Um, and it actually got wiped out by the tsunami back in, was it, 03, 04, somewhere around there? Um, but we would hike in there, and we'd leave our car in the jungle. I mean, it's just like parked there. And then after we'd have a vacation, we'd go back. And one time, we walk back, and there are all these monkeys on our van. And if you've never encountered a monkey, you're like, oh, that's so cute, that's so sweet. Well, that's, that's what I thought. So I start running to the monkeys. And my dad grabs me, and as he grabs me, the monkeys start like in a pack start to attack and they show their fangs they're like rabid monkeys and they start to like <laughs> you know um and my dad grabbed me of course he's like i just saved your life um and I, I don't know i don't remember how it happened but they shooed the monkeys away or they did something um my dad's ex-militaries so maybe he shot him or something i don't know <laughs> they, they did something monkeys monkeys went away um and then, that's one time, uh, another time, we used to live in this two-story house that was, that was huge, really high roof, and our air conditioning unit was on top of the house, and I always begged my dad to go on the top of the house with him and help him change. So I was about 10 at the time, and he's like, okay, you can come up, but you need to be really careful. I would never let my 10-year-old on top of the roof with me. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, I'm a little more preemptive in my parenting than he is. <laughs> uh, so, went up to the to the roof, and uh, I was the tool guy. Like, he would say, I need screwdriver, and I'd have the screwdriver, and need the hammer. So, um, but I ended up dropping the screwdriver, and I dove after it down, and the roof was steep. I dove after it down the roof, and I just started sliding. And my dad dives after me and grabs my leg and saves me, like, from falling off the roof. Um... And another time, we were in Colorado, rushing rapids, and somehow I fell in. I think my sister pushed me in, but I fell in, and I mean, I'm in rapids. Like, it's pretty, wow, rocks everywhere, and he runs down the bank of the river and jumps in the river, and he catches me right before, there's a log across the river with, like, a dead tree with, like, limbs sticking out, and he catches me right before my face gets impaled on the logs. Um, So he saved my life a lot. Uh, Thing is, um, why would he do that? What would cause him to jump down a roof and grab my leg? What would cause him to not let me go see those cute little monkeys? What would cause him to jump in the river himself and save me like that? And it's just love. I mean, any parent is, most parents, but I would say almost any parent is going to do that, for their child, not because of anything, anything external, it's just inherent as a parent, um, and I would do anything to, to stop my kids from running out on the road, or to stop them from getting hurt, and there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing that, it's just an innate reaction, it's love that compels, it's love that's controlling a parent in that situation, uh, and that's the love of the Father for us. That's what the love, when, when the love of Christ controls us, that's what it looks like. There's an urgency. There's a control there where you just do something like that. I've also seen somebody save themselves so that they didn't get pulled in and save someone else. So um, at our house, there's, there's a couple steps from the front door. And this guy, he's, I don't know, he's, he's a couple hundred pounds, 250 pounds, something like that. He's, he's saying bye to us, and another one of our friends, I won't say who, uh, one of our friends is, is standing on the stoop behind him, and this guy's walking out the front door like this, and he's like, bye guys, and he misses the step, and he starts to fall back, and if you've been in my house, you'll see that there's, there's bushes, and there's no railing though, and he's like this, and our friend is standing right here, and he goes to grab the friend's hand, and this guy... He knows what's going to happen. If he grabs his hand, he's getting pulled in with him. So he goes to grab. Then he's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> and he just flattens our bushes. I mean, they I think they reco- this was like two years ago. I think they just recovered. I mean, he just totally flattened those bushes. And, uh, and it was so hilarious. I'm going to stop laughing. The guy was okay. I, nothing happened to him. But I was like, I can't believe you reached out and then pulled back <laughs> to our other friend. Um, but unfortunately, that's how, that's how we are for the sake of others sometimes. And that's the type of love. We think we love other people until something like that happens. And instead of grabbing someone's hand to save them from falling, we pull back. And we think we love others well. But actually the love of Christ isn't controlling us. The love of ourselves or, or, or our pride or our, um, uh, the way we look, our appearance is controlling us. And we pull back and say, no, I don't want to be in the bushes with you. And what this passage is talking about is saying, no, no, no. The love of Christ, if we are in Christ, it actually compels us to action, to live for Jesus for the sake of others, and it breaks fear. And I know at work, guys, you're you're in a culture of fear. It's tough to be a Christian at work if you're a follower of Jesus. Like, how do you talk about your faith? Everyone actually, it feels like everyone's against you. But we weren't. We weren't called to um, to judge them. We were called to love them. We were called to just be controlled by the love of Christ. And that's. Uh, the opposite of being controlled by fear because the Bible says that perfect love actually casts out fear. So when we're controlled by Christ, you're going to live in a different way in your workplace. You're going to live in a different way in your family. Um, You won't pull back like that. You'll actually reach out and live for the sake of others to Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about in, in this passage. And then he goes on and says in verse 16, "...from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh." So we we see here he's restoring something else in us, and he's restoring a new sight in us, the way we view people. He says we regard no one according to the flesh, meaning we don't regard as a follower of Jesus, if you are in Christ, the sight that he's given you is to see people in a new light. And so you don't regard anyone according to their sin anymore. You don't regard anyone according to their accomplishments. You don't regard anyone according to their possessions anymore. You don't regard anyone according to what they can do for you or what they can give you or anything like that. Their family background, their heritage, their ethnicity, uh, anything like that. You regard someone uh, not according to the flesh, he says. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And this is why, because verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's actually a new creation. A new creation. And he says, stop regarding people according to what's external. And the new lens you have is regarding people whether they're in Christ or whether they aren't in Christ. Now, if it just stops there, that sounds kind of arrogant, Um, but he says that lens isn't just if someone is in Christ or not in Christ. That lens is actually shaped by love and humility and integrity and righteousness and goodness and patience and kindness and, and all these things in the scriptures that, that uh, God is and that God represents and that God restores and gives to us. And so when you look at people and you say, he's not in Christ or she's not in Christ, it isn't a, oh, I'm in Christ and, and they're not. It's a compassion saying, I want them to be in Christ. And that's what it means to live to him for the sake of others. Because your lens now is not according to accomplishments or the flesh or sin or anything like that. It's according to love and mercy and forgiveness. And I can go on and on about who God is. So the problem in in community is it's hard to be transparent in community because we think people are still regarding us according to the flesh. But if we're in Christ, we're not supposed to do that. We shouldn't do that. So a lot of you guys are okay with telling me your issues and your problems. You're, you're okay with telling a pastor those things because I don't know why. You may think I'm more spiritual than you, which probably isn't true. You, maybe it's true. No, it's not. Uh, we have the same spirit. Uh, but you're like, oh, well, he's not going to judge me or she's not going to judge me. There's certain people you're like, you know, but that's not that's not a pastoral privilege. That's a privilege for all of us as believers. If we're in Christ, we're all that way. That's not... I don't see through a different lens than than you should see through. We're all serving the king. We're all serving the kingdom. We're all in Christ. And if we are, that's the lens that we see through. And so in a, if we're going to build transparency in our church, in our small groups, in body life groups, in, in our community, we have to commit to not regarding people according to the flesh. And Paul says, if we're in Christ, that's actually our truth. He's actually restored that in us already we just have to accept that so and he says we're this new creation and so I uh I did a wedding yesterday um Shirley and Tim for those of you guys know Shirley and Tim at this church they got married yesterday it was uh probably the best ceremony I've been to (laughs) because I performed it <laughs> oh, no, it was a great. It was a great ceremony. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was cool just seeing um, uh, our our church involved. I mean, Christina was helping out. Dolly was helping out. Simon did photography. Um, it was just. It was just great to see the the church serving them in their in their wedding. Although Simon got paid, right? So I don't know if that counts. <laughs> oh, so it. Yeah, it was just. It, it was just an, a fun atmosphere. So they did this cool thing that I've never done in a wedding before. Um, I've never seen it in a wedding. They did a unity vase. So back in the day, 12 years ago, when Miss and I got married, they had unity candles. Um, I guess people don't do that anymore. So it's not as cool. So they did a unity vase. And what it represents is, is there's two, two uh, vases of water that they pour it in the center vase. And the center vase, when they pour the water in, it changes color, and it makes, it's like two lives, one flesh, unifying in, into the center vase, and it's supposed to represent the spiritual reality of what God does in marriage, where he takes two lives, and and this is Genesis uh, chap, chapter 2, I believe, and, and brings them into one flesh, and um, I thought it was cool, because the water was clear, and when they poured it in, it became blue, it was like. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. It was like magic. Um, uh, but what people couldn't see in the audience was that they had food coloring in the bottom of the vase. So when they poured it in, that's why it turned blue. You probably could have figured that out, but, <laughs> but it's, it's still pretty neat. Um, that's what happens. When Paul says we're a new creation, that's what happens. Like, think of that food coloring as a spirit. And the Spirit comes in us, and He makes us a new creation. We become a new color, and and what it what it is that it, uh, God doesn't take away our, take away our personality, our our gifts, or anything like that. When we get the Spirit, we become what we should have been all along. We become a new creation that God says, "Those gifts, now I've restored those things in you. Now I can." Uh, use you and use those things through you to impact the world. So Paul's talking about that here and in the next few verses uh, starting in verse 18 um, he says all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So we see there that God restores peace in us. That's what reconciliation is. He's restoring peace And, and so he says this is all from God. This is God." pursuing you. Religion says you pursue God. The Christian faith says God pursues you. And that's why it's so unique and so different because it's not about what you do. It's not about your good deeds or your bad deeds. It's not about do, do, do or don't, don't, don't. It's about Christ, Christ, Christ in Christ and God pursuing you. And, and he says, here, so all this is from God who through Christ made peace, reconciled us to himself and then He restored that in us and gave us the ministry of peace, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And when he did that, he didn't do it in condemnation. He didn't do it in judgment. He didn't say, you guys are wrong and I'm right. He didn't say, stop living that way. He didn't say, your sin is bad. He actually said, I don't count your trespasses against you. I don't count your faults against you. And when he did that, in verse 19, it says, and then he entrusted to us an eternal mystery, a mystery from, from eternity, from the ends of time. He entrusted to us the message of peace, the message of reconciliation he gave to us. And so God restores peace in you. Christ, when he's in you and you're in him, he restores this peace in you, And then he wants to work through you to restore peace in this world. And we can only do that through the maker of peace, through the one who who is peace. And then he says in verse 20, Therefore, because of all this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Um, Ambassadors are... Emissaries, they're representatives of kings, of heads of state. And so when an ambassador is in another country, and that's the thing, an ambassador gets sent to another country, right? They live in that other country. um, And they represent that nation, the entirety of that nation, in a whole new country. Missy and I have uh, been to a U.S. ambassador's celebration dinner. Um, this guy's name is Thomas, or he's dead now in 2014, his name is Thomas Milady, and he uh, was an ambassador under three different presidents to Burundi, Uganda, and then the uh, Vatican City um, over Bush, Clinton, and Nixon, and uh, why did, we got invited because we knew somebody who knew somebody, so um, we were there, we were in D.C. at this really, and I, I felt like totally out of place, but it was awesome. Um, and they just celebrated his life as, as someone who served his country and represented the country well. Not all ambassadors represent the country well, but he represented the country well in these three different nations. And it was so unique and, and just amazing to see how um, appreciative everyone was of his service and how unique it was. Uh, and that's that's what an ambassador is. Um, an ambassador is supposed to represent the king, the nation, the, the state, and and then embassies are 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 the same way. So Missy and I were in uh, Tripoli, Libya, a few years ago after the Gaddafi regime fell, um, and it was it was crazy. Um, I mean. We hadn't been in such a volatile environment before, just automatic gunfire all the time, um, car bombs going off when we were there. Uh, and um, yeah, militia-controlled uh, airport, militia-controlled everything. But um, we were there for almost two weeks, and we were going out of the city at one point to these ruins outside of the city, and this envoy passes us of like I don't know five or six seven black Suburbans going like who knows 200 kilometers an hour I um, mean they were high speed it was like a movie just in a line high speed and they and we were we weren't going slow we were going fast because there you you drive fast to make sure you're safe but they were driving you which sounds Sounds contra to (laughs) what we should do, but it's so militia, things like that. Um, And they drove past us, they flew past us, and it was obvious that they weren't Libyans. Um, They were actually the U.S. Embassy, so the ambassador was in there and his his detail. They had the American flags on there and everything, black suburbans, uh, just like the movies, Uh, yeah. And it was obvious that they weren't part of that country. It was obvious that they, they stuck out big time. Um, and then we actually went to the same place, and they got out. They were strapped with every kind of weapon and, and stuff. And I wanted to try to talk to them. I was like, hey, guys, I'm American. <laughs> they are like, step back, sir. <laughs> uh, so we, um, I mean, they, they stood out, fully stood out. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's, that's the embassy. That's the, the, um, that's the role of an ambassador. And that's what we've missed as, as the church. We've missed this, this urgency to stand out. To say, no, guys, the world, our city, this isn't how it's supposed to be. We don't have to live this way. It doesn't have to be broken. We're ambassadors for Christ where we say, He's restored love in us, and we want to show you what that looks like. He's restored peace in us, and we want to show you what that looks like. He's given us the righteousness of God, which we'll talk about in a second, and we want to give that to you, not because of anything in us, but because of what Christ has done in us. God making His appeal through us, and it should be like this. We're in Thailand a few years ago, and um, we're we're with some Americans, and we're over. We were there over the 4th of July, so we're like, hey, let's go to the embassy, and they're going to do fireworks. Let's celebrate the 4th of July at the U.S. Embassy, and so we went to the embassy, and it felt like we were home. It was a safe place. Everyone's sharing uh, the commonality that we're all American, and it just was an awesome celebration. We had hot dogs. You can get a hot dog in Thailand. We we did a barbecue, hot dogs, and hamburgers, and uh, it just felt like the 4th of July in the States. And that's what the church should be for our city. It should be a refuge. It should be an oasis. It should be a place where people come in and they say, this feels like home. This feels amazing. This feels like we're sharing the commonality, the Holy Spirit. And people, when we do that and live that way, people are gonna want that. First Corinthians 14 says, when we live that way, people will come into our presence and worship God. Because they see that God is here and something is, is happening that's very unique. So, he does, he does this in us. And he does this in verse 21. For our sake, it says, He made Christ Jesus, him, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And that is our mission, to live out that righteousness And so, this morning, uh, I just want to ask you the question, what what does God want to restore in you? What does he need to restore in you? If you're in Christ, the truth of it is, he's restored these things in you already. If you're not in Christ, he wants to restore those things in you. For us in, in Christ, we have a battle. There's a battle against this restoration, and so maybe the, the nuanced question is, is what are you, what's more significant to you than Christ's place in your life right now? And what does he need to restore in you through that? But not only that, what does God, what does Christ want to use to restore through you? How does he want to use you to restore other people? Um, just think about your relationships right now. Um, Does God want to use you to restore a broken relationship? Does he want to use you to restore your friendships, your uh, marriage, your relationship with your boss at work, your your friends and family? Uh, Here's the thing with broken relationships. We often think the other person needs to do the restoration. The other person needs to do, uh, they need to approach us But Jesus says, when someone sins against you, the onus isn't on them. It's on you to forgive them and to make that known to them. So that's how we become ministers of reconciliation. That's how we spread the peace of Christ. That's how he uses us to restore. But not only that, what what does Jesus want to use our church to restore? How does he want to restore in our church? Now, I think a couple things God wants to restore in Trinity Life Church right now in this next fall season, he wants to restore in us uh, a culture of expectation. I've been talking with our leaders about that so much, that we should expect God to do something great because he's a great God. So when we gather together in the book of Acts, you see when the church gathers together, something awesome happens every time. Why don't we expect that? How about joy, the joy of serving? We should. We should... Ask God to restore just the joy of living for him. Um, some of you who've been a Christian for a while, you might be lost in the uh, monotony of it or the mundane of it, and you just need that restoration of that joy. Ask God for it. He wants you to, to serve him joyfully. He wants you to live for him joyfully. But then what does God want to do? For, how does he want to use Trinity Life Church to restore our city? That's a question we should always be asking because it's not about it's not just about what god wants to restore in us remember when christ restores in us he uses that to restore through us and so we want to restore things in our city we want to go into st jamestown we want to go into uh the rest of our city and be a part of restoring culture we're going to be a part of restoring the perception of the church in our city that's been a big part that's been a big part of the story of trinity life church is helping to restore the perception of the church with our city as a whole. And that's our privilege as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors of Christ Jesus. And here's the really awesome thing this is Revelation chapter 22. I talked about the tree of life at the beginning, and this is the last instance of the tree of life in the scriptures the Bible begins with the tree of life and then it ends with saying we are that tree of life. Like we, That tree of life is supposed to be for this. So he says here in Revelation 22, the Apostle John writes, the angel showed me the river of the water of life. It was bright as crystal. It was flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And it was through the middle of the street of the city. That's what we need to be. We need to be through the middle of the street Of the city, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life. So it was split. The river splits the tree of life in half, and the tree of life has grown around this river because the river gives it life, these streams of water. And it yields its fruit, and it yields 12 kinds of fruit, one for every month, it says. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The leaves heal the nations, and no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb of God will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they'll see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. It will be their identity, and nights will be no more, for they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. That's what we're called to be in our city. Because when Christ restores those things in us, we get to restore those things in our city. We get to restore those things in our world. That is what we were created to do. That's what we were created for. And the story of the scriptures is us figuring that out. Is God coming to us and saying, this is what you're created for. My image is in you. You You're my son. You're my daughter. And I want to free you to live for my glory. To be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ. To be a tree of life for your city, for your nation, and for the world. And so if you're not in Christ this morning, that's the promise of Christ in you. To restore those things in you, to show you what you were meant to be, and if you are in crisis, when you've forgotten that, you need to press into that, accept that truth because it's a reality for you, whether you you live that out or not. It's your reality, and you just need to accept that reality and live that out through your marriage, through your singleness, through your friendships, in your workplace. You are the agents of restoration to restore integrity and wholeness and peace and life and righteousness and all things that are good from God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is beautiful, that it is glorious, that it is always uh, building us up and encouraging us. And Father, I pray that uh, each of us individually would would recognize these truths in the word. And that today may be the day that somebody first accepts those as truth I pray that you just draw us to yourself Father that you'd show us your glory that you'd show us your love that we would know it but not just that it would be restored in us but that you would use us to restore it in others that we would live to you Lord Jesus for the sake of others because you became sinned when you knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful statement that we are your righteousness, God. So let us live up to what we've already attained in Christ Jesus. We ask in your name.